Please Leave podcast, home to stories that haunt. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Seriously, let's go, I typed with angry thumbs and hit send. I've got the baby in the car, so I need you to hurry. I dropped my phone in my lap and sighed, the resonant sigh of a parent of a teenager. I relaxed a little when I saw the chat bubble pop up and hover on the screen of my phone. A single K emerged from it a second later, and I glanced back at the baby who was still, mercifully, asleep after an afternoon of near-constant screaming. Baby's asleep, so be quiet when you get in the car, I warned, preparing for the delirious teen energy that would linger after spending hours with her friends. I scrolled social media while I waited for my child to materialise. A minute later I looked up, and she was standing next to the car, hair still damp from the birthday pool party of one of her school friends. Her skin was the most perfect shade of brown from her time in the sun and I smiled at the spattering of freckles that seemed almost three-dimensional across the bridge of her nose. The days of her letting me playfully count those freckles were long, long gone, but their cuteness still managed to disarm me, despite the unquenchable adolescent emotions that had taken control of her in the last couple of years. I stiffened as she reached for the door handle, half in anticipation of her waking the baby, and half for whatever mood she decided to punish me with for dragging her from her friends. She opened the door gently, entered the car with equal care, and then closed the door softly behind her. She gave me a thin smile before buckling her seatbelt, and I released the huge breath that I hadn't realised I'd been holding. She didn't say a word on the trip home. I was grateful for her cooperation, I couldn't help but feel a little worried because it had been so long since she had actually heeded a warning or request, at least from her parents. I spent the silent drive wondering if she'd gotten into a fight with someone at the party, or the million other scenarios that could have caused her to shut down. Emotional shutdowns weren't uncommon with her, but they always made me spiral a bit as I tried to decipher what was wrong. I read once that sailors dread clear nights with calm seas because the water becomes a mirror for the sky and the sailors can get so disoriented they'll fall in and drown. And that's exactly how I felt as we drove home. So disoriented by her calm that I could easily fall in and drown in it. When we got home, Olivia opened the car door with the quiet precision of a surgeon and then managed to slip out and reseal the vehicle without even a peep from her baby brother. I texted my wife to come out and help with the baby. There was a chance he'd stay sleeping in his carrier, but only if there were no bumps or fumbles between the car and the house. Moments later, we were safely inside with the baby still occupied by his nap and the teen off in her silent cave of online social interaction. Jen and I shared an impressed look, silently communicating to each other that we had reached an expert-level status as parents, at least for a moment. We had learned to celebrate the small victories, and I was very much looking forward to preparing dinner without the burden of needs I could only just barely fulfill. 
I poured myself the mandatory glass of wine to drink while cooking and laid out everything I needed to make a lovely midsummer meal for my family, while Jen read on the couch next to our softly snoozing infant. We had never planned for there to be 15 years between the birth of our first and our last, but life happens. If you put off the procedure that helps prevent this kind of surprise for long enough, it will eventually slip your mind, and you will find yourself managing infancy and puberty simultaneously at the age of 39. (laughs) The baby woke up in a much better mood than he'd fallen asleep, and Jen nursed him into a contentedness while I finished dinner and set the table. Once the baby was awake, I felt safe enough to call down the hall for Olivia to come to dinner as I set out the serving dishes, and then surveyed the spread to make sure I hadn't missed anything. Olivia still hadn't emerged once everything was ready, so I knocked on her door, assuming she had her headphones on and couldn't hear me. There was no answer to my first knock, so I knocked again, and then waited for the 30 seconds we'd established was a fair amount of time to wait before entering without express permission. Honey, dinner's ready. My words trailed off as I stepped in the room that we'd painted to resemble a bubblegum hellscape when Olivia was six that had still been her favourite colour. We'd never gotten motivated enough to change it once she was older, despite her irregular requests to do so, and so the offensive colour remained. Olivia was standing with her back to me, and the rest of her body was completely still and facing one of the places where two of the walls converged to create 45 degrees of pure manic pink. Posters, photos, and mementos fanned out on the walls to either side, curated to commemorate everything that Olivia loved at the intersection of childhood and adulthood. I watched her for a few moments as she remained completely motionless between a picture of Post Malone on one wall and a shelf of her favourite stuffed animals on the other. Flops the bunny had fallen to one side, and one of his limbs was reaching toward Olivia as if to save her from the burden of her upcoming adulthood. It's okay, Flops, I thought to myself. Olivia was never cut out to be a kid. Adulthood is where she'll really shine. I shook myself out of my make-believe conversation with the beloved Stuffy and returned to reality where my daughter was standing in the corner of her bedroom for some undetermined reason. Uh, Olivia, I half-shouted, and she finally seemed to register my presence. She turned, slowly, to face me. Her face was an expressionless sea of sun-soaked features, and I could only tell she was alive because she blinked once while she stood in place and stared in my general direction. "'What are you doing?' I asked with a mix of worry and exasperation that had become my near-constant companion as a parent. "'Nothing,' she responded in her I-don't-want-to-talk-about-it tone. "'Some kind of dare or something?' "'Yeah.' She stayed in place, waiting for the reason for my intrusion. Yeah, that's not weird. Anyway, dinner is ready. I was relieved to hear that my worry and exasperation had been replaced with a healthy dose of patience and care, and I said a silent prayer that we would have a nice night together. Olivia was quick to dive into her meal, and so I relaxed a bit, feeling pleased that the gods of pickiness had been appeased for the night, and... The scales tipped slightly in favor of a pleasant meal with my family. How was the party, Olivia? Jen asked through a mouthful of perfectly seasoned green beans. Good, Olivia offered with a nod and returned to the quiet eradication of her meal. Great, Jen continued, playing it cool to keep the weak conversation going. Was Lily there? Yes, Olivia so generously replied. How's she doing? How did she like her trip to the coast? Good, Olivia offered. And she liked it. 
Jen rolled her eyes at me and I volleyed a smirk back over the table. Hey, do you want to go to Melby's with me tomorrow before we visit Nana and Papa? Dad said he'd watch the baby so we can shop without the distraction. Jen stared at our daughter with a desperation that I feared would tip the scales back toward an adolescent fit. But instead, Olivia responded with a simple, sure. Jen smiled and returned to the forced casual state of cool mom. <laughs> Satisfied with the promise of some mother-daughter time, she then shifted the conversation to our neighbor's divorce, and Olivia excused herself a few minutes later. The baby started to fuss a couple of minutes after that, and so Jen cleared the table while I fetched the pacifier, and then started a bouncy loop around the living room until he was calm again. As we did most nights, Jen and I retired to the couch with a bottle of wine to unwind and chat for a bit while the baby bounced in his rocker nearby. I told her about Olivia's uncharacteristically compliant behavior earlier, and she nodded as I told the story. Yeah, she's been like that lately, she agreed when I was finished. She's been hanging out with this new friend, Lainey, and she's really... Uh, intense, I guess is the word. Intense? How? I asked. Imagining the endless ways I'd experienced our own daughter's intensity in the last couple of years. She's just really studious and kind of serious, she explained. Super smart, but doesn't smile a lot. Apparently she lived in New York for a couple of years, and so I think that's why Olivia is kind of infatuated with her. <laughs> I nodded. Yeah, th that explains a lot. People had been calling Olivia an old soul since she was born. She was always so contemplative and disinterested in the things other kids enjoyed. And when she was just five, she started speaking exclusively in a posh accent. It carried on for months and she never ever broke out of character, not once. She told us she felt that she was a rich person deep down in her soul and so proceeded to identify as such for a remarkably long time. As goofy as it was at the time, we're a part of a generation of parents that supports our kids' self-exploration no matter what, and so we had no choice but to embrace our wealthy child until one day she woke up and decided to be middle class again, out of nowhere. <laughs> she bounded out of her room in the morning and said, Morning, parents! <laughs> Without a hint of pretension, and that was the end of that. And so, it was no surprise that she'd become preoccupied with her sophisticated and studious new friend and had adopted some of her mannerisms. I knew that Olivia's huge personality would bubble to the surface again eventually, and in the meantime, I was excited for a little reprieve from the wild and varied moods of my wonderful kid. I celebrated everything about her, but my god, did she make us work for it. Jen put the baby to bed around 8.30 and we agreed on one more glass of wine before we'd head to bed ourselves. We dove back into the subject of the neighbor's divorce, intent on dissecting every detail of what had led to their demise based on the second-hand rumors we'd collected around the neighborhood. Amanda, from down the street, said that the wife had confided in her that the husband had admitted that he might be gay. Paul, from the White House Kitty Corner to ours, had heard from the wife's boss that she was leaving him because she wanted kids and he decided he didn't. Jen and I jokingly speculated that it might be a combination of both, but the truth was that they were probably splitting up because she was a boisterous and hilarious person and he had the personality of a bowl of plain yogurt. It was still fun to share the town gossip and then sarcastically compliment ourselves on what a 
perfect marriage we had in comparison. Just after 9pm, my phone started ringing and I almost didn't answer, assuming it was a spam call, but then noticed the name of Olivia's friend's mum on the screen. Hey, Lynn, I answered cheerfully. Hi, Jake, she returned with equal cheer. Hey, I was just wondering when you guys were going to pick up Olivia. The girls are done with their pizza and, and Beth is basically catatonic. She's so tired from the big day. Lynn chuckled, and the feeling of the hairs raising on the back of my neck was so articulated I could have sworn I felt each of them raise individually as they came to attention, one by one. What do you mean? I asked, with the tight tones of early stages of alarm in my voice. We picked her up hours ago. We told her she had to be home before dinner so she isn't too tired when we visit her grandparents tomorrow. Jen's eyes widened and her brow furrowed. I shrugged my shoulders and sat upright on the edge of the couch, ready to spring to action as soon as I was able to comprehend what was going on. Well, Lynn paused, also confused. I could swear she's been here the whole time, but maybe she came back after dinner. It was clear that Lynn didn't believe what she was saying, and we shared an unspoken bond that neither of us believed what we were hearing, because none of it made sense based on our separate realities at that moment. Let me go check. I'll I'll call you back, okay? Uh, so, so sorry about this, Lynn. I swear I collected her hours ago, but you know how teens are. I laughed an empty laugh that did very little to mask my growing panic, and Lynn tried her best to put me at ease. Well, she's safe here at the moment. She and Beth are in a pile on the floor watching something on a phone, so I'll keep an eye on her until you get here. I got to my feet as I thanked her profusely and ended the call. Jen followed my lead and barely let me hang up before asking, What the fuck? Lynn said that Olivia is still there, but that's insane. She wouldn't sneak out, would she? It was one of those moments as a parent when you question everything you think you know about your kid. We all operate from a place of assuming that our kids are more or less good and more or less honest, and and when that is tested, it's nothing short of devastating. God, no, Jen interrupted before I could even finish my sentence. That's not like her at all. I nodded and could feel my brow furrow another half an inch as Jen and I headed to Olivia's room to get to the bottom of all of it. Jen made it to the room first, and when Olivia wasn't perched in her usual spot on her bed, Jen started searching the few spaces she could be hiding while I stood, stunned, in the doorway. Time seemed to slow down as I stared at the indentation that my daughter's small body had made in the duvet, and I tried to will her to appear in the delicate circle created by her crossed legs while she chatted with her friends or listened to music. I imagined her annoyed, but loving eyes as they looked up startled as Jen and I burst into the room. The way she would remove her oversized headphones as she asked us what we were doing in her most exasperated tone. But the empty circle remained. I wanted to climb inside of it and feel the soft walls of false security, but no such refuge exists for those of us insane enough to become parents. As Jen searched and I stared, my ears pricked to the sounds of the outside, and a ripple of humidity hit me from the other side of the room. The day had been so hot, we'd had the AC on full blast, and Olivia hated the heat, so never would have left a window open while she was in the room. As my senses became more attuned to the scene, 
A repetitive scraping sound drifted in on a breeze through the open window, and I followed the clue. I walked to the window that opened out into the backyard, and the journey felt like it took a hundred years as my brain slowed time to help me catch up. Jen was saying something to me in a most frantic voice, but my mind filtered it out, intent on identifying the origin of the sound and solving the mystery of my missing daughter. As I reached the window, I could tell that the scratching was coming from somewhere near where Jen had planted an herb garden in the spring. Olivia had actually helped her with the project, excited by the prospect of fresh basil on demand. She'd had basil for the first time at a fancy pizza place and had been totally preoccupied with it ever since. Since she was born, she'd been collecting eccentric habits to add to her developing personality, and loving basil was one of the recent additions to the pile. Jen and I always joked about the beatnik we'd created behind her back, but we couldn't have been more proud to produce such a complicated and curious person. I ran through the list of my favourite of her quirks as I reached to open the window wider. There was the time she found a beret on a park bench and wore it for three months straight. When she learned the word esoteric and used it daily for the better part of a year, the unused garden shed that she transformed into an art studio so she could teach herself how to paint. The way she cherished my father's record collection, the kombucha scoby she kept in her fridge and on and on. All of the parts and pieces of my wonderful daughter marched through my mind as I leaned out of the window to better assess the situation. The scratching became more syncopated as the scene came fully into view. The sound communicated a desperate need for completion and would become a metaphor for the excavation of my life and everything I'd ever known to be true. If I lived through this, it would follow me and find me and remind me that nothing was okay and I would never ever be safe again. It would serve as a reminder of the night when hell was unleashed from a hole in my backyard and rained down on my simple life and everything I loved. Olivia was on her knees in the corner of my yard, next to the garden she had planted with her mother. She was facing away from me and the naked chain of her thin vertebrae was a moonlit row of tiny mountains up and down her hunched back. Dirt splayed out on either side of her as she raked at the earth in front of her with her bare hands. I could hear her grunting gently as she worked, and they were the sounds I would expect to come from a wild animal or a small machine of some kind, and, uh, and not my beautiful, brilliant girl. There was a medium-sized bundle next to her on the ground, and at first I assumed it was her clothes. My brain made the absurd assumption that she'd removed them and piled them next to her so she wouldn't get her pyjamas dirty as she dug. My immediate reaction to that thought was that it was very thoughtful and responsible of her, which was interrupted by the hammering reminder that my teenage daughter was completely naked and digging a hole in the garden in the moonlight, and so soiling her pyjamas was the least of any of our concerns in that moment or ever again. I must have stared at Olivia for a total of five or ten seconds, but the moment seemed to stretch on into infinity as my brain failed to place the pieces I needed for it all to make sense. 
I wasn't entirely sure what to do next, but I knew I needed to get Olivia covered up and out of the backyard as soon as possible, and so I managed to pull myself away from the window and turn to head outside. Jen rushed through the bedroom door at the exact same moment that I turned, and her eyes expressed an almost feral quality that I can now identify as the beginning of the end of everything I held dear. I opened my mouth to explain that we needed to go collect Olivia, but Jen interrupted me by wailing the four worst words I had ever heard, or will ever hear. Where's the baby?! was written by Courtney Eck and narrated by Benjamin Chandler. For more scary stories that you cannot get out of your head, please join our Patreon at patreon backslash please leave pod. Please follow Please Leave on Facebook and Instagram at please leave pod. Our email is please leave pod at gmail.com and our website is please leave pod.com. This has been a Two Penguins Media production. Quack. <laughs>